0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. If
1: you have your Bibles, if you can turn to the Song of Solomon, chapter 6. The Song of Solomon, chapter 6. If none of you have been blessed over the years by the ministry of Ravi Zacharias, I just want to um, encourage you to go on YouTube. Uh, he's been an uh, a apologist for, I think, 50 years. Tremendous man of God who's now in the presence of God. And you can learn a lot just from the different things, the debates he would have. And he was such a kind soul. He was 74 years old and he went to be with the Lord uh, yesterday morning. But his name is Ravi Zacharias. He still has a whole team that the Lord helped him raise up that is still going throughout the world in defense of the gospel. Ravi, we used to listen most of the time coming here on Sunday morning, we have about a 50-minute trip, so we would turn him on right around 9 o'clock and always be blown away. If we got one morsel, just a morsel from his half hour of teaching, we felt that was a lot. He was such a, um, a thinker, just a man that was anointed by the Lord, so we can still glean from what the Lord has put on his heart through technology. One of the things Ravi said is, what defines you as a person is not who you are, but whose you are, and that's one of the neat things in the in the study of the Song of Solomon. I hope we're all getting a better flavor and taste of who we are in Jesus Christ, um, how He sees us, unlike how we see ourselves or how we see each other. One other person I was just reading about was uh, Barbara Bush, who recently, I guess, within the last year or so, passed away. Um, On her deathbed, she says, I believe in Jesus and he is my savior and I have no fear of death. What a neat thing to be able to be at that point and just know that you're going to be in the presence of your savior. And they say that Ravi, in the last few hours of his death with his loved ones around him, all he could talk about was his savior that saved him when he was a 17-year-old teenager. So it's pretty cool how faithful God is throughout all our lives. So hopefully your Bible's open to the Song of Solomon, chapter 6. If you weren't here with us uh, through this first five chapters, just a brief summary. Chapter 5, the Shulamite woman. Now the Shulamite woman is a representative of you and me also a representative of the church and i thought it's i think it's pretty cool that pastor joe is in the book of revelation and he is doing the churches but the churches represent churches that used to be over in turkey they represent churches that are in existence today but they also represent individuals so it's neat how god writes his word that is applicable not only to a large group of people as a church, but to each individual because a church is a lot of individuals put together. So in chapter 5, the Shulamite did not answer the king's call, did not respond to the shepherd's voice. Now the shepherd, the king, is none other than Jesus Christ, as we're teaching it here. This resulted in the Shulamite woman being lonely spiritually. She had a spiritual sickness because she wasn't plugged in to her shepherd, to her king. And if you and I have ever done that, drifted away from our Lord, we know the loneliness that it can be spiritually, don't we? We also know the spiritual sickness that we can go through because we're not plugged in following the lead of God's Holy Spirit. Well, one of the things that the Shulamite woman woman did in the end of chapter 5, she wanted to be reconciled to her shepherd, to her king, to her lover. Just like you and I, if we've strayed. The Holy Spirit in us will always give us that yearning to return, to go back. He's not going to leave us or forsake us, the Bible says. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So he's going to always draw us Back to him. In our stubbornness, though, how long is that going to take? Could take a minute, an hour, a day, a year, 10 years, 30 years. May it never be that long for any of us. May it be the moment that we stray, we want to run back into his presence. Well, in chapter 5, with this Shulamite woman, there was definitely a change of heart. God responds to your change and my change of heart. He responds. Let's take a look at the first three verses. And I broke this down into a few segments tonight. Where to go for a change of heart. The title of the message is change of heart. So we're going to see a few different places in chapter six where a change of heart takes place. So the question right now before we read is, where do you go for a change of heart? Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside that we may seek him with you? My beloved has gone into his garden, to the bed of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's. And my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. Now, in verse 1, we've seen throughout the first five chapters of the Song of Solomon the daughters of Jerusalem. And that's who's speaking in verse 1 who's asking the Shulamite girl, Well, where has your beloved gone? Now, if you were with us last time, the Shulamite woman went through all these characteristics, all these strong traits of her lover. Now, the daughters of Jerusalem are so impressed at what happened in chapter 5 at the closing that they want to know, well, where has your beloved gone? O oh, fairest among women. You see, at the end of 5, they were questioning her. They were almost sarcastic in their questions of her. Like, what makes your lover better than any other lover? What makes this shepherd, this king, better than some other king? And the Shulamite woman defended her king, her shepherd, her lover. And by the time she was done, the daughters of Jerusalem had a change of heart. They're now asking, well, where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside that we may seek him with you? And dear Christians, when you are a sincere follower of Jesus Christ, you are leaving a mark. There are people watching you to see if your faith is real. Is it real just in the good times? Is it real in the bad times? Is it real just when there's life? Is it real when there's a coronavirus or some other illness or some other calamity going on? When you are strong in your walk with the Lord, you're an example to people who don't know Jesus or to people who know Jesus but aren't mature yet. And they want that. There's something in you that they want. Well, we know that something is none other than the precious Holy Spirit of God, God himself, living in every believer. We saw in chapter 5 of the Song of Solomon where these daughters said, well, what is your beloved more than another? That you so charge us and you're so panicky, but now they've come through, they've changed a little bit because of the attributes in her description. They've heard about the personality and the characteristic of the king, the shepherd, her love. When we are born again, our inner spirit that was dead because of trespasses and sins comes alive and we no longer are chained to fleshly desires. We know we are passing through this earth On our way to an eternity with God himself as revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that is the promise he has given to you and to me. That one day we will be alive in his presence. As Ravi has already had over 24 hours in the glorious presence of Jesus Christ. Because of the Shulamites' stand and her heart and her example, these daughters of Jerusalem now want to seek Jesus, the king, the shepherd, the lover also. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, it says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart you're listening tonight, you're going the extra mile, aren't you? You're seeking God in a deeper way, and you have the promise of God that when you seek him, you'll find him when you search for him with all your heart. You see, the Shulamite woman woman, in the first five chapters had a hard time. She made mistakes. She didn't heed the call of her shepherd king, her lover. Again, remember, that's Jesus Christ. How many times have we not responded to the call? Ignored his voice? Well, now she wants to be reconciled. We only have a couple chapters left, and we're seeing a maturity in the Shulamite woman. Do you see a maturity in you over time, looking back, where you started from, where you are today? Might be a little change, might be a lot. How much are you seeking him? How much do you want to change? In verse 2, the Shulamite answers the daughters of Jerusalem. And notice what she says, My beloved has gone to his garden, to the bed, the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens, and to gather lilies. First few verses that we're looking at tonight really have a lot of in it. It's rich with things. And you'll see as I go on, the beginning is much more in detail than towards the end. She knows where he is. He's in the garden. Hmm. He's in the garden. If you were here last time, one of the representatives of the garden was you and me. We're God's garden. He plants, he waters, he prunes, he nourishes. And remember, we talked about the manure around the plant. It stinks. Sometimes we're in stinky situations. But there's growth. There's fruit that's produced throughout those situations. But before we go on, I just want to talk about these gardens. You know, I was thinking about what are some of the gardens that we see in the Scripture? And some might come right to your mind as you're here in this question, I think of the Garden of Eden, the Garden of God, paradise. I think of Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, the mount, on the Mount of Olives. I think of the Garden Tomb. I think of in the book of Revelation, uh, I believe it's chapter 22, about a, the tree of life that goes on both sides of a river. And it doesn't say the word garden, but it's just it gives you a, a picture of a garden or a garden atmosphere. What takes place in the garden? Think of this. What takes place or what can take place or what has taken place in the garden? Well, it's a place of beauty. I mean, things are in bloom right now. We go by gardens. Things are colorful. They're growing. We go in the parks. We see the different bushes and flowers and trees. Everything's green again. It's a place of delight, pleasure, usually well-watered. It's fertile. It has life in it. It's nourishment. There's also shelter in a garden. There's shade in the garden. There's protection. There's a place you can go for quiet retreat. Where you can go and pray and meditate. It's pleasant to look at. It's a productive place. It's also a place to work before the fall. Back in the beginning of Genesis. God placed man in the garden to tend it. To take care of it. It was after the fall. That now there was thorns and thistles. And the work became harder. I believe before the fall, it was joyous. It was awesome to tend the garden. Some of you might be gardeners. And how you love, it's a time of relaxation. It's a time where you just feel just comfortable and relaxed. It's a productive place. The garden, though, had some negative connotations too, didn't it? The garden was also a place of betrayal. It was a place of burial. It was a place of death. It was a place of sorrow. But each time, especially as we look in the scriptures, each time there was also redemption, there was also resurrection, and there was also new hope. We see this in verse 2 about the bed of spices. You know, where you hang out and where I hang out leaves in us a distinct odor or scent. If we're in a good place, the scent is awesome. But if we're in a bad place, we stink. Our attitude stinks, our body language stinks. We're negative. We reflect the world's problems. But when we're in the place that God wants us to be, at his feet, reading his word, meditating on his word, reaching out to others as servants, there's a sweet aroma that everybody can not only smell, but they see. There is flavor In this bed of spices. You and I are those beds of spices. There's all different spices in the church body. All different church spices. All different scents. But each one flavors the body of Christ, the church, in a very, very special way. Notice what's happening here. That the shepherd is feeding his flock in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. What's happening there? What's happening in a real good garden? Well, there's rivers of water, there's life, it's vibrant, it's fresh, it's alive, it's sparkling it's pure without blemish it's perfect when it's the garden that god is making and cultivating this garden was not something that was is able to be cultivated and nourished alone It came at a price. In 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 20. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 20. We think of this and we can brush over it easily when the Shulamite woman representative of you and me says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. But let's take a look at what it cost in order for you to be connected with your lover, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 20. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We follow and believe in a risen Savior, Not a man or a woman who was good. Who had a nice philosophy. Whose religion was named after him or her. But from a God. Who became a man. In the form of Jesus Christ. And lived on this earth over 30 years. And went to a cross and shed his blood For you and for me and then rose from the dead three days after he was murdered on the cross. But we know he died on that cross. Laid his life down freely for you and for me. For our sins and the sins of the whole world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 to 20. 1 Corinthians 6 Verses 19 to 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who was in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Christianity, Jesus said, You must be born again. No other religion, no other philosophy tells you that the risen Savior is alive and that he wants to send you his Holy Spirit to indwell you until you meet him face to face in heaven. You were bought at a price, the price that was shed on the cross over 2,000 years ago by the God-man Jesus of Nazareth. And then it says here in this verse, his flock. Who are his flock? In John chapter 10, verses 9 to 16. John 10, verses 9 to 16. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now remember, these are the words of Jesus in in the Gospel of John. Continuing in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Notice those who respond to the call of Jesus Christ and accept him as their Lord, accept them as their Savior, are entered into the one flock that we see here in John 10. And one shepherd, Jesus Christ. There's no other shepherd. There's fake shepherds. There's mean shepherds, but there's only one shepherd. As Jesus said from his own lips, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. What are you believing? Who are you believing in? John 10 verse 27, John 10, verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. All right, let's go back to Song of Solomon, verses 4 to 10. I like to read them first and then go back and break them down. Verse four: 4, oh O my love, you are as beautiful as Terzah, lovely as Jerusalem awesome as an army with banners. Turn your eyes away from me. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep which have come up from the washing. Everyone bears twins, and none is barren among them. Like a piece of pomegranate are your temples behind your veil. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The daughters saw her and called her blessed, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. Who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? Now what I just read was the Beloved the shepherd, the lover, the king. For us, it's Jesus Christ now praising the beauty of the Shulamite woman. This, these verses are how he looks at you and me. And it doesn't matter if you are a one-minute-old Christian or an 80-year-old Christian. It does not matter. He looks as you the same way. Oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Terza in verse 4. Terza was the capital of Israel when it was divided into the northern and the southern kingdom. Terza means favorable or delightful. It was a beautiful place. That's why it was chosen. Lovely as as Jerusalem, as I continue. Jerusalem means the teaching of peace. This was the capital of the united Israel. Today it's the capital of Israel. But it was also the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah after the split, when the northern kingdom was Israel and the southern kingdom was Judah. Awesome as an army with banners. It was impressive. It it captivated your attention. It was distinctive and, identifi- and identifiable. Remember, this is the description of you. You're distinctive. You're impre- impressive. You captivate God's attention. Then we see here, turn, in verse 5, Turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is overcome with his love for you and for me. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher in the 1800s, mentions that Jesus is overcome with love when he sees eyes that show repentance. Have you repented? Have you turned from your lifestyle and want to follow Jesus Christ, have you turned from your lifestyle and want to follow God's Holy Spirit? Jesus is overcome when he sees eyes that mourn over sin, eyes that look to him for salvation, eyes that trust in him, eyes that look to him for provision, eyes of prayer, just talking to him. He's overcome with his love. For us. In Song of Solomon chapter 4, a couple chapters ago, verses 1 to 5. He used many of the same images he uses here. For example, your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep which have come up from the washing. Everyone bears twins and none is barren among them. Like a piece of pomegranate are your uh, temples Behind your veil. He went back. Back in four was the wedding of the Shulamite woman to the king. And it was his way of just saying how beautiful she was. There was none like her. She was pure. She was clean. He's repeating these things. Basically saying It doesn't matter what you've done. My love for you has not changed. How about you that are listening tonight? Do you think God's love for you has changed because of what you've done or what you thought? Or maybe not measuring up to your standards or where you think God wants you to be? Please flush that. Just throw it out the window. Okay? Understand that his love for you has not changed from the moment that you first asked him into your heart. In verse 8, we got to change a pace here a little bit. It says, there are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. Now, unfortunately, Solomon, like his father David, had disobeyed the Lord and got all these women. They were either married to him or they were in his harem. But even the writer here, we can look and and see that no matter who you are, no matter the number of believers that have gone before you or that are on the planet right now, You're distinct. You are distinct. You, the individual who is hearing my voice tonight, God wants you to know you are distinct. Not that you stink. You are distinct. He loves you. There's no one that can compare to you. Nobody. Even though there are millions of believers following Jesus Christ. And then he just goes on saying the only one of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her, the daughter, saw her and called her blessed. She was so distinct that even people who saw her that weren't at the same place that she was at just couldn't believe there was something so special and beautiful about this person. Everybody exclaimed and admired her. It says there in verse 10, Who is she who looks forth as the morning? She's fresh. Bible talks about God's mercy is new every morning. You're fresh. When God sees you, you're fresh. You might not look fresh in the morning physically, right? But spiritually, you are fresh. In God's eyes you're fresh. He's excited to go th- through the day with you. He's captivated by you. Fair is the moon. The last couple of weeks some of the nights have been beautiful and the moon has just been awesome. Lovely, beautiful. Clear is the sun in verse 10, radiant. Remember, this is the description Of how God looks at us. You're just radiant. You're lovely. You're fresh. Awesome as an army with banners. Army going to war or coming back from war. They would hold up these beautiful colored banners. They were impressive. They would captivate attention. They were distinctive. They were identifiable. Just like you are when God looks at you. Things that we can grasp is what God uses in his word to try to convey to you and to me how he sees us. Amazing. You as an individual, us as a church, the world that has been born again, that's the body of Christ throughout the world, should exemplify these traits that are listed here in the Song of Solomon. All right, let's go to uh, verses 11 and 12. I'll read them, then we'll go back. I went down to the garden of nuts to see the verdure of the valley, to see whether the vine has budded and the pomegranates had bloomed. Before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. There's this gentleman named Glickman who wrote about the Shulamite woman. He says, her guilt turns her eyes inward on herself and her feelings about herself. But the king brought them outward to let her see and hear his praise, which turned her attention from herself to him. And then she could see herself through the eyes and heart of forgiveness, both his and hers. How many times you and I look inwardly at ourselves and feel guilty. But when we put our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith, all of a sudden we see a heart of forgiveness. And then we can look back at ourselves, we can look at the cross and understand that he nailed all our sins, past, present, and future on that cross. And when we see his forgiveness, who are we not to forgive ourselves if the creator forgave us? And then we can move on in forgiving other people who have offended us. Because of what God did in forgiving you and me and of our sins. We see there was a change of heart in the garden. But now as we look at these last couple of verses, 11 and 12, there's a change of heart when you go to the cross and realize what took place there. It says here, I went down to the garden of nuts. Now, you can take a walnut, the hard shell of the walnut, and we can crack it and eat the inside. But you know what? If you take that walnut and you plant it in the ground, that eventually the nut will decay, and then what is inside will bring new life. When you and I die to ourselves... When we are buried with Christ, we're raised to a new life in Christ. Just like the nut was put in the ground, and I know this nut was put in the ground, and Jesus rose me to new life. In baptism, it's a symbol of us dying to ourselves and rising to new life. The verdure of the valley is a lush green vegetation, There's life here. At the cross, yes, there was death, but it's our life. When when the soldier stuck the spear into the side of Christ, blood and water came out. But it's through that blood and water, through his death, that the church was born. The church came as a result of his death on the cross, Jesus' death. There's life. To see whether the vine had budded, he's the vine, we're the branches, and the pomegranates had bloomed before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. You know, the best form of transportation back in these days was the chariot, especially the king's chariot. It would fly. You know, it'd be like the Ferrari of today compared to the people who didn't have chariots. When we're riding with our king, we're flying through things that he's bringing us to and through. So there's a change of heart when we go to that garden. There's a change of heart when we go to the cross. And now as we close tonight in verse 13... It says, return, return, O Shulamite. Return, return, that we may look upon you. What would you see in the Shulamite? As it were, the dance of the two camps. The word Shulamite means the perfect one, the peaceful one. Now, if you've been with us in the story of the Song of Solomon, the Shulamite woman was not perfect. She was not peaceful. She did not live up to her name. She was anxious. She was frustrated. But notice in verse 13, the king, the shepherd, the lover is saying, return. Come on back to me. Return that we may look upon you. You see, when you and I received Jesus Christ into our heart, our sins were washed away by his blood. You were given his precious Holy Spirit as a down payment to seal you. For that day, you were going to meet him face to face, or will meet him face to face. To Jesus, you are perfect. Because he looks at you and sees the finished product of why he died. That should put you at peace, that should sh- get that stress out of your heart, your mind. How God looks at you and how God looks at me. And notice he says four times there, return, 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 return. Maybe you're listening tonight and you want to return. Listen to his voice. That's what sheep do. The sheep trust their shepherd. My daughter has a little dog and you know, when you go to pick him up or you call him or he's looking at you, he has the eyes of just trust and love. He doesn't know what you're going to do, but he trusts. Those eyes, right? That just compel Jesus to just want, he just loves us so much. In John chapter 16, verse 33, John 16:33. It says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have COVID-19. You will have sickness. You will have death. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You see, because God is in you. You're an overcomer. Keep your eyes in Jesus. And the last verse I want to give you before we wrap it up is Philippians 4, verse 7. Philippians 4, verse 7. When you put your trust in the Lord, here's what happens. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Jesus. Now, you might say, as the very last verse says here, what would you see in the Shulamite? Lord, what do you see in Vinny? What do you see in Maria? What do you see? And hopefully you see what he sees a little clearer tonight of what we read in chapter 6. And it says, as it were, the dance of the two camps. I think of David when the Ark of the Covenant was coming back into Jerusalem after it had been absent. And he could only show his joy by dancing down the streets of Jerusalem. I believe it's a victory dance of love and peace. Have you ever get so psyched with the Lord that you just feel like dancing or singing? Well, that's what we're going to do in a second. I don't know if we're going to dance, but we're definitely going to sing about our love for the Lord. But let's close on this. If you're listening and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you heard his voice tonight, then why don't you respond to him by asking him into your heart? You know, we've all sinned. We've all come short of God's glory. Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. He loves you. And all you have to do is say a prayer similar to this. The words aren't important. It's the attitude of your heart. But why don't you pray with me right now if that is something that you desire to do. Dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned over the course of my lifetime. And I believe that you died on the cross for me. Jesus, I'm sorry. And I want to turn. Turn. I want to turn from my way and follow your way. Come into me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let me follow you all the days of my life. And I ask this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.